welcome to the Pet Grooming Business Podcast with me, Bill Betts, where we give practical business advice to help you grow your pet grooming business. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Paws and Presto. So without further ado, let's get going. Welcome everyone. Um, I know a lot of you will be very busy uh, working, but uh, I thought it'd be really nice to come on live. Uh, it's a little bit different today, something a little bit different for you dog groomers. Um, we're joined today with um, by Scott, Scott Cowan. He's a um, coach work, who works with uh, parents and also an author of Building Blocks for uh, Making Children More Resilient. Uh, you'll probably have to correct that title, won't you, Scott? But welcome. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good. Just uh, correct the title of your book, because I got that wrong, didn't I? What's the book that you've yeah, written? It's Building Blocks for a More Resilient Child. There you go. Building Blocks for a More Resilient Child. And that's currently out um, with Amazon and, and all these other places, I take it? it? Well, we've got it just on the Amazon store at the moment. So it's available on Kindle and paperback. Awesome. At awesome. The moment. And I thought, um, you know, I met Scott in a, a different Facebook group doing a different course that I'm doing at the moment. And um, I, I read a little bit as to what Scott Beers does and the, about the book. And I thought it'd be really interesting to bring Scott into this group because uh, many of us are parents, uh, step parents, grandparents. And uh, many of us have got um, children that have got their own sort of individual issues or confidence and, um, you know, all sorts of difficulties that we have to deal with on a daily basis. So I thought it'd be nice to bring Scott into the group and just have a chat about what he does and um, what the book's about. So that if it can help us in any way, then obviously that's a bonus, isn't it? So perhaps we can start off, Scott, and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you've, how you've got here, really. Yeah, um, my my background is is in education. Uh, I worked for the Scottish government for the Board of Education, um, so I'm quite I'm quite uh, clued up on on the education system at the moment. Um, I got to where I am purely down to my well. I started off mindset coaching for millennials at first, um, helping them create a mindset to to basically take risks and do what they've always dreamed of doing, starting that business or getting that dream job they've always wanted. Um, and then I went into coaching parents and that was purely down to my own son being diagnosed with ADHD at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing the way he seen the world and I just wanted to make it a more positive place for him and I wanted him to be able to to grow up and and be more resilient and bounce back from any obstacles he'll face in life because I realized that school the school doesn't really teach that and that that become a, more apparent to me due to the fact it all started off because the school actually cancelled one of the sports days um, purely down to the fact they didn't think it was for that kids, some kids lost and some kids won, yep. and that wasn't fair. Um, and it kind of really struck home for me because I thought, well, what about those children who 
I'm very good at maths. Does that mean we don't do maths? Do we cancel exams? <laughs> exactly. So it's it was more about, well, I know it's very controversial and some people will agree and disagree, but children have to learn to fail and they have to learn that they're not always going to win. Mm-hmm. And it's that that builds that resilience inside them is they need to know that the, there will always be somebody who's better at something and they need to they need to obviously acknowledge that and that's what builds the resilience within them. And when that is taken away from them at school, then that that resilience doesn't it doesn't build. Yeah. Did you um did you see that in the so what's what's the what's your definition of a millennium? A millennial, sorry. Millennial. <laughs> millennial, yeah. What's your definition of a millennial? My I was looking for people at people aged 20 to 35. Mm-hmm. That was that was my my age bracket. Um so yeah, that was that was my definition of a millennial. And what, what sort of issues were you finding um, you're help, helping them with? And did that then lead you to think, actually, these if we dealt with these issues at a younger age, you sort of moved, moved your business sort of forward into that sort of thing? Definitely. It was because it's it's all it all comes from when we're younger and what we're taught when we're younger. And that will just because it all goes into the thing is when we're younger, our our mind has a conscious and subconscious. And until you're seven, your conscious mind is not fully developed. So the conscious mind is the is the mind that can reject or accept anything given to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the subconscious is wide open in children and that can only accept, it can't reject anything. So everything they're exposed to as children will go into the subconscious mind and that will show later in life. And you find that, or that I found when I was especially working with millennials was the confidence in people and the the fear of taking risks. That was the biggest barrier for most people. And it's purely down to the fact of they'd never see the parents take risks. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking, was there a shift? So what sort of years? So they were born around uh, the 90s, is that right? Yeah. So what yeah. Was, there must have been like a shift in society or or something had occurred in society that which then became people people became more risk averse or, or something's changed which then these well, we have grown up differently, or these people have grown up differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I don't know what changed, to be yeah. honest, in society. Um, I really don't know what changed because obviously I, I I might not look it, but I fall in that bracket <laughs> of millennials. So um, it kind of, and I, I, I look back to when I was at school and how I was brought up. And I was brought up, to be honest, I was brought up with my grandparents. Right. So maybe that were the different lies. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, 
bright. I grew up taking those risks. I grew up with that confidence. Um, so it is it is hard to to pinpoint where that shift took place and how it took place. Um. So yeah, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent. I'm just I'm just that. thinking. You know, does it change where um, children, you know, don't play in the street or they don't go out on their own? They don't go down to shops to buy sweets on their own anymore. Um, they don't. They don't sort of get to explore the world on their own, if that makes uh-huh. sense. Because we're a little bit more like, well, it's well, it's bloody busy out there with cars, isn't it? You know, you don't want to put your kid on a bike because uh, it can be really like dangerous with cars. There's obviously awful stuff that happens in the news. Um, do you think maybe that's like the societal change that might? I think I think that when you when you put it that way, I think the biggest when we look back now, the biggest issue is is media, mm. um, because bad news sells. So that is all we see, mm. and it now with the likes of social media, which obviously come out late nineties, um. It just makes it even more apparent that it's out there and these things are happening. Um, and again, as you as you mentioned, the kids not going out and playing, and I think obviously video games and and iPads and and things like that obviously have a big a big impact on that as well. But it is, I think, I think the media and social media is a big influence in that. And that's purely due to seeing the bad news because uh, it's really fired at us constantly now and more so in the, the past two years, as we've found out, it's really bombarded us. Yeah. So I think it's just trying to to limit the bad news we see. We're just going to take a quick break to mention our sponsor, Pause and Presto. Our pet grooming business uses paws and presto towels and have found them to be more absorbent when drying dogs, quicker to wash, quicker to dry, and they take up less room in the salon. They also weigh less than normal towels when wet and come in a wide range of colours. To find out more, visit pawsandpresto.com. Now let's get back to the podcast. I was in the car the other day driving home from school and um, my eight-year-old turned the radio off and he was just like, I don't want to listen to it anymore. <laughs> um, That's good. You know, put some music on, I suppose. It's the lesson I need to learn there. Don't listen to the... It was around news time. So but it's, it's interesting. You're, you're talking about the subconscious and the conscious mind. And obviously help people with their businesses. And money obviously comes with business. And it's very interesting um, seeing their, their money mindset and how they deal with money and their views on money. Um, you know, and everyone's completely different. And I think a lot of people... Oh, we know we get our money mindset again from our parents, don't we? And I suppose around the age of seven, if you're around your parents and around money, that can really have a big influence on you, can't it? Oh, definitely. Like we, most of us have heard oh, the saying, money doesn't grow on trees, and where do you think I'm going to get the money from? And, and unfortunately, our parents don't realise when they're saying things like this, it's going into the ch- the children's minds, and then later in life they they will struggle with money issues. Um, and it's not 
most of the time you'll find it's not the fact that they haven't got the money or they they just don't know how to deal with it. And it's purely because the parents like, I can't afford that and I don't have the money for this. And it just programs them to then naturally say the same things. Hmm. And I think that's where my coaching comes in at the moment. It's trying to change the way parents expose what they're saying to the children, but also allowing the children to understand that not not everything's perfect. Yeah. And I suppose... I suppose, again, society-wise, we're a lot more open with our children now, aren't we, than perhaps we used to be. Uh, yeah. We perhaps share a lot more with our children about what's going on and and um, finances and home life, maybe, whereas perhaps it was behind closed doors. I don't know if that... But I suppose it's down to us to, to realise the effect that we're having on our children. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it's kind of... it's kind of cover that in my book in the sense of there's a there's a chapter that talks about um trauma mm-hmm. um in the book and it's how to talk to them and how to deal with them how to deal with the trauma that they've gone through and it can be things like it's not exactly what we all class as trauma as in like something physical or something really bad to the child to a child just Hearing the news and seeing, I don't know, example, a, a terrorist attack or something like that can be traumatic for a child to see. Mm-hmm. And it's about just taking that time as a parent to sit down with them and just explain to them it is, it's not a nice thing that's happened, but ensuring that they're safe and showing them that they're safe and not everybody in the world is a bad person. Um, so it's about just sitting down and talking to them through traumatic events or things that are going on in society, make them aware of it, but also turn it into a positive by letting them know that the, the, there's good people there helping these people who are struggling. Um, there's good people all over the place who are, who are trying to stop terrorist attacks or trying to stop things going on that we can't control. Um, So it's about just letting them know that although there is things in the world that are bad, that they're safe. And I think that's the biggest thing for children is they need to know they're safe but understand what, that the the world isn't all rosy, unfortunately. We all wish it was, but (laughs) unfortunately it's not. And that links into that resilience, doesn't it? And would you class um, like a relationship breakdown or split up? Would that be classed as trauma for for children? Um, definitely, definitely. Um, I went through a huge breakup with my son's mum, mm-hmm. and that was that was quite traumatic for my son. Um, and we didn't. It wasn't till later on. We've seen the trauma, so it can it can kind of. Children are very good at hiding things, surprisingly. Um, so he kind of suppressed it for a little while, and it wasn't till later in life that that shown, and it was a case of just sitting down and explaining to him 
like it fortunately sometimes that happens mom and dad just don't get on anymore and it, it's better for him and then we just turn it into a positive like now he gets two Christmases and he gets two birthdays and so it's it's trying to turn everything that's negative into a positive for him mm. to understand it and see it in a better light than it's all doom and gloom yeah yeah I'd like to talk like explore that a little bit more because you like you said your son has or was diagnosed with ADHD perhaps we'll talk about that in a bit but I just wanted to um go back to resilience and what again that's like what is your sort of definition of resilience and we were talking before this wasn't it weren't we about my son and um I sort of say my son's not got a lot of resilience um we I dropped him off for school the other day he'd forgotten his PE kit and just went from happy son um back to go to school realized he'd forgotten his PE kit and just burst into tears and was a complete complete mess and it's like don't worry Tom we'll go and get your PE kit and drop it off at school for you you know it's easily to sort out but I just thought he obviously hasn't got that you know that that resilience within him just to work out those problems is that what do you class as sort of resilience for for kids resilience is my definition is how quick a child can bounce back from an issue right so it's how quick if an obstacle's thrown in the way how quick can they just bounce back from that so some children, I know my son at the very beginning, he would just he'd just have a meltdown, complete meltdown if if something wasn't right or something had gone, he just didn't know how to deal with it. Um so it's it's about giving them coping strategies and techniques to deal with things. And that's where one a, a there's a couple of exercises actually in the book. Um, and one of them is simply just sitting down with, with your child when they face an issue and doing like a mind map of how they can solve it or doing it, but they have to come up with the solutions. You can be there to help them. Um, but it's, it's a little bit like, like you just mentioned about about your son, you you like don't worry about it. We'll go back and we'll get your kit. What I would have done at that point would have been, so what do you want me to do? Right. So you you work it out there and then whilst they're having that sort of crisis moment, as they see it, you 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 work it out there and then for them or with them. Yeah. Well, basically, you you know what they need mm. as a parent, but it's a case of giving them the opportunity to tell you what they need. So you're letting them think about it then. And then that's, that's how resilience starts to get built. They're the, the very, very early steps is just, just asking instead of doing things for them or telling them what needs to be done. It's a case of just asking them, right, this is the situation. How, what do you want me to do about it? Or what do you want to do about it? So it's about just posing those questions back to them to get them to think of solutions. And I think I think the biggest reason I started on resilience was my my worry was once if if my son didn't have the resilience, once he got to leaving school and applying for jobs and things and he 
didn't get the first job he applied for. How's he going to cope with that? Mm. How's he going to, he's going to feel rejected. And how will he deal with that? And that's when I sat down and thought, well, he's not going to have the strategies to deal with that, which ultimately will end in more mental health issues later in life. Yeah. And that was my, that was my biggest drive to go into helping parents create positive mindsets for children because it was just, we've, we've all seen over the last decade, mental health has just, has just rocketed. And my worry is if children now are not taught these, these strategies, that number is only going to increase. And it's, that's, that's a big worry for me. And yeah. I, I don't want that for, for our future. It's just, it's something that I'm quite passionate about and I really want to help as many people as possible with that. Yeah, and obviously we do rely on the schools, don't we? And the schools are just so, so busy. And I think you're a bit, I mean, our school, um, so Tom, for example, he was identified as someone that sort of had anxiety and uh, like resilient issues sort of thing. So he was um, given... Uh, him and some others were taken away from lessons and they had workshops and stuff. But I very much doubt, you know, every school does that. It's not in the curriculum, is it? So this is like a, an extra special thing that the school puts on, but we can't rely on, on all the schools to do that, can we? No, unfortunately, like like most, most schools, that comes down to budget. Mm. And there's a lot of schools out there that just don't have the budget to provide that service. I'm I'm lucky in the sense my my son's school's the same. They have, in fact, they have an on on-site counsellor for kids, um, which is really good. Um, but not, as you say, not all schools have that. And it's not just that. Sometimes the children just don't feel comfortable telling somebody in a school setting how they feel. So it's about you as a parent being open with them letting them talk to you but then you don't you don't tell them what they need to do mm. it's about being an active listener to the child and just letting them know you're there to listen and then you ask them for the solutions and how they're going to fix it but in regards to to anxiety the the biggest what i found the biggest cause of anxiety is looking to the future so they say depression's the past, anxiety's the future. So it's about looking at why a child is anxious. What are they looking at? What are they predicting is going to happen? Because um, whatever that is that they're predicting is what's causing the anxiety. Mm. And it's about then looking and trying to to twist that the other way and saying, well, for example, when I worked with millennials, a lot of them were, if they wanted to start a business, they were like, well, what if it doesn't work? That's what caused the fear, the anxiety. What if it doesn't work? Well, turn it the other, what if it does work? What if it does work? Yeah. What if it does work? What if it takes off and that's it? You, you just, you don't know. So it's about, it's about teaching the children how, to question what they're thinking 
is it really true? Hmm. And is is hard, obviously, to get children to understand that and to to process that. But the more the children see the parents do it, the more he'll program them and the more he'll help them later on. I remember, um, I was trying to think, it reminds me of something that in my childhood when I was about eight, I think, it was pancake day. I remember it was pancake day. And uh, I had this complete meltdown. I can sort of, I can picture it. Actually. I can see myself sort of having this big meltdown on pancake day. And I was, I had some issues around maths at school. And I think I was causing a lot of anxiety. And I was like, uh, you know, how am I going to get a mortgage? How am I going to get a job? You know, it's like eight years old and a real sort of like panic attack. I felt as though it was like a panic attack at the time. You know, and it's right. Uh-huh. Like, it was all those, um, like you said, this anxiety about the future. And, and you know, look at me now. I'm able to run my own business. You know, I've given up my, I gave up my full-time job in March to run my own business. And it's just like, I sort of say to my kids now, you know, I was never very good at maths, but look, look where it's got me. You know, it's not a problem. It's not an issue. You can get around it. You can move forwards and stuff like that. But when I was eight years old, that was just like, wow it was a really sort of powerful sort of day Mm -hmm. pancake day always reminds me of that (laughs) (laughs) it's very true and I I think that's that's the biggest problem with not necessarily schools but it's more society at the moment is we're very quick to label things so for for example I was I was labelled and well I am I'm dyslexic so I could have easily just let that consume me and I could have been I could have seen dyslexia the label as my identity and mm. thought well that's it I'm I can't read I can't write I can't and I'm gonna struggle all my life but then I end up working high up for the Board of Education. I end up writing a book. Um, These are all things that when I was told I was dyslexic, I thought, I'm never going to be able to do anything. But here I am. (laughs) I've done it. And it just it's about not letting that label define who you are and what you can do. Did you find your... Did you find your your own path or were you supported with that? Um, I found my own path with that. It Mm. was um, because there's been, I've gone through quite a few different things in in life. Uh, I've gone through depression and I've gone through anxiety. And uh, at one point I did unfortunately and thank god i'm still here but i did try to take my own life at one point um and it wasn't until about 2018 i sat down and it was it was a really weird moment i just sat there and i got this feeling where i just looked around me and i asked myself how did i get here how how what what's happened? <laughs> so it was then when I started to look back at everything I've been through, and I thought, how how did I get through all that? How am I still here? And ultimately, it was my mindset. 
And it was purely down to the fact of I didn't want to give up. And I wanted to keep going and going and going. And I remember when I was, uh, I think I was about six, and I said to my nan and my granddad, I'm going to own my own business. That's what I'm going to do. And I've always said that, and I always believed it. And I think that was my driving force through everything. Yeah. Um, at, at some point, I'd, I'd moved from Liverpool to Glasgow um, to live with my partner. Then we split up. Um, at the time, I worked for the Scottish government. So I was like, well, I can't just give up my job and go back kind of thing. So, And I had my house still in Liverpool. So then I, I was like, well, I'm gonna, I can't afford a house in Glasgow as well. It's, mm. it, so I ended up living in hotels and hostels while I was working. And it was, I'm not going to lie, it was awful. But, and a lot, I had a lot of my family and a lot of friends who were like, just, just come back home, just come back home. And the determination in me and my mindset was just like, no, I've given up too much to get to where I am. I'm going and I'm going to keep going till I get to where I want to go. And it was all about having that, that mindset. And that is, that's what got me through everything. And that's then what kicked off my, my coaching. It was like, I need, I need to tell people this. I need to, I need people to understand that if we just put our mind to things, we literally can get through anything. And it was kind of, was it yesterday or the day before my son come home from school and he was really upset actually and he's like it's my worst day of my life worst day ever like, what do you mean and he basically had an argument with his with his friend in school and they fell out and and I, I sat down with him and I was like but is it really the worst day of your life and he's like yeah yeah it's it's the worst day ever and and it was a case of just understanding and acknowledging that that's how he felt at the time. But then it was also sitting down with him and saying, Will, we we have this saying at home that we always say to each other, will what's happening now bother you in a year's time? If the answer's no, don't worry about it any longer. Yeah. If it will, then fair enough, we'll look into it for further. But right now, if it's not going to affect you in a year, forget it. It doesn't matter. So it kind of parks that. It kind of parks it and then you, you get to move on. Yeah. And it, it's more, it was also the fact of just sitting down saying to him, how many times have you said, oh, this is the worst day ever? This is the worst day ever? Or how many days have been really bad days? And he'll sit there for a little minute and he's like, oh, well, I've had a couple. And I'm like, but you've survived them. You're safe. You've survived 100% of your worst days. So therefore, you can do it again. Mm. And you'll keep doing it because you know you can. You've survived them. So it's just trying to bring the awareness to the child that although it might seem at the time, it's the worst day. 
you've already had bad days and you've got through them. So it's making them aware that that resilience is there. But it's also, we also, or we try not to use the word can't in the house. And it's it's one of those, if, if, a he, if any of us say can't, we then have to follow it up with 10 things we can do. Okay. Um, and that's purely because I, do, I, I just don't like, <laughs> I just don't like children saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. Have you tried? Yeah. You can't. No, do it. I know I can't do it. Well, just try. If you can't do it, that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with not being able to do something. But don't say can't before you've tried. Yeah. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? It's reprogramming that brain, bringing resilience in is reprogramming, reprogramming the brain to realise that you can do it, you know, and cha- and doing the activity and then changing that that thought process. Uh-huh. And, that, and that's the problem. Nine out of ten times it is just the mind playing tricks hmm. and they will try it and then they do it. And then the feeling they get because they've done it is just incredible. And you see that smile on the face and and they're, they're so happy they've done it. But if we if he just accepted that he couldn't do that right at the start, he would never have experienced that happiness of of actually achieving what he set out to do. Yeah. Yeah. Your um your story reminds me of a book that I've just finished. I've been telling everyone about this book that I've just finished. Uh, Homeless the Billionaire. I don't know if you've ever read it. Yeah. Uh, I recommend reading it, but it's so similar in the, well, you know, he finds himself homeless, but he reads a, another book called The Secret. And um, having read that, he then starts putting goals and plans. And you've just sort of said, you know, all through your life, you had that drive, you had that goal to to uh, have your own business. And that's what got you going. That's what got you through everything. And I've been teaching um, the people I'm working with, you know, the the benefits of goals and plans and, you know, putting these in place, writing them down so you can visualize it and you can see it. And, you know, you've just hit the nail on the head there. Your your goals and your plans got you through your worst sort of times, didn't they? Oh, absolutely. And I think I think you you saying that is is so especially to people who want their own business or are running their own business. Goals are so important and just having a visual of that goal and holding the visual is so, so important. And for me, the biggest, the biggest thing that changed my life was gratitude and just being grateful for what I've got. And I take that when you, I'm not sure if you know, but the first 20 minutes we wake up, as soon as we wake up, the first 20 minutes of the day, your brain is still in a theta mode. So it means it's very open. Your subconscious is wide open and your conscious mind hasn't quite woken up and caught up yet. So that is the best time to do anything like um, affirmations, any visualization or any gratitude. And it's a time when sometimes I'll even just a motivational video on YouTube or something like that. I'll just put that on 
in the background for the first 20 minutes of the morning. And it really does set out the, the, the level for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Because you, you even you, I know myself, especially I'm, I'm not awake for the first hour or so in the morning uh, until I've had at least two coffees. But, but it is one of those that it is going in even though if you're not consciously listening to the words and what it's saying, it is going into the subconscious mind because your brain is in, is in theta mode. So it will just absorb whatever's going on in the first 20 minutes of your day. So, okay. Um, well, first of all, again, that book homeless to billionaire goes on about affirmations um, saying 10, 10 things that he's thankful for every day. Uh, vibrational giving you know giving giving out to people as well it's as though you've read it and written it to be fair you're really hitting all the nails on the head but going back to waking up in the morning listening to the news you know to wake you up is probably not the best thing to be doing is it definitely not definitely not trying try and avoid avoid the news <laughs> as, as much as you can but I, I know a lot of us and especially business owners one of the first things we do when we get up is we check our phone. Yeah. It's the first thing most of us do. And to be honest, it's one of the worst things we can possibly do because you just, from that second, you're just filling your mind with issues or things that are, you've got to do through the day. And you, it's just your best I was always advised the first hour of the day, try not to go on your phone. Mm-hmm. Unless obviously it was urgent and you, and you needed to. Um, and just see how that goes. And I, I tell all my clients that just try for one hour of a morning, just not to go on your phone and see how you, and see how you feel after a month. And you will honestly, you will see the difference in people. If they spend that first hour just listening to motivational videos, saying affirmations, and doing gratitude, the difference in people in 30 days is just unbelievable. And it really does make a difference. So I I obviously read the book and you know know about affirmations now, but would you give us an example of like some affirmations that you use or that you recommend? Yeah, I remember when when I had the vision of I'm going to own my own business, um, my my affirmation then always was, I'm so happy and grateful because you have you have to do the affirmations in the present tense, or so you've already got what you what you're looking for. So mine was always I'm so happy and grateful now that money flows to me on a continuous basis. So that was my affirmation. And I always, and there's, there was a trick that I used to use with millennials who wanted their own business and stuff. And it was to close your eyes and voice record, yeah, visualizing what your dream life looked like. So go into detail. It can be as long as you want go into detail, describe what the house looks like, what's the door made out of, what's the drive made out of, go into detail. And then every day in that in that 20 minutes in the morning, 
listen to it. Just put it on in the background and listen to yourself describing what your vision of your future is. And that helps you to, to, to visualize and it gets you emotionally involved with it because it's you. And that really helps drive you towards your goal too. So we, we call that a, a life script. So it's just writing what you want in your life, but you have to write it in the present tense as though you've already got it. And it, if you seek, you shall find. It's very true. Yeah. It's very true. You know, the last sort of three years, um, someone, someone I know, when when they asked them, like, what's the biggest regret you've had? Um, and they're like, I stopped reading books at 18. You know, the last few years, I've kind of really got into the, the books and they all carry a very similar message. And this this is what we're talking about now. You know, the, the goals, the visions, the affirmations, the gratitude, all sorts. So, you know, if you start getting that message, it works. You need to get, you need to do it. It really does work. And I remember I I done a couple of years ago a, a vision board. Mm-hmm. And that's when I actually put on the vision board, I wanted to write a book. And I said, I want to write a book. And for a while, I kind of kept looking at it and I was like, but it, it's not happening. It's not happening. And I kept saying to myself, just trust the process. It's there. You're visualizing it will happen. And here I am now. Yeah. And there was there was many things I put I've put on on my vision. My vision board was to have my son here in Scotland living with me. Um, that happened this year because um, he used to live with his mum. So that happened at Easter this year. So he's been with us since since Easter. And just I'm I'm slowly taking things off my vision board now because. They're here and they've happened. That's it. I I did one in that, or me and my wife did one in March 2020, and we've ticked off sort of 10 items now on that. Unfortunately, um, our dog uh, weed up it, so I had to throw it in the bin. But um, <laughs> it, uh, it, but again, we're we're now planning our new one, and uh, writing a book is on is one of my vision is on is going to be on the vision board because I just it's so powerful. I just know that it works now, and I've just. Also ordered a um, a big whiteboard for the office where I can write all the goals and plans down. You know, make all those notes, and so I can see it every day and read it. Definitely, it's so. If you can see it, then it it helps so much. Because mm. um, I think that's where a lot of people struggle is the fact they don't have that visual and those. There was one guy I met who he he found a pebble and on his pebble he wrote one word which meant his goal, which related to his goal. And every and he kept it in his pocket. And every time he touched that pebble throughout the day, it reminded him of his goal. So it was like a trigger to his goal. And it it can be, you could use anything like that. It could be something really simple, like, oh, I don't know. Um, well, I, I, sitting on my desk right in front of me, I got a, uh, a little um, coin which was given to me by a mentor saying, you know, be fearless in your business. And that's always mm-hmm. there. It's always sort of underneath the, the screen. I can see it. 
it's always present. I've got all my um, thank you cards around me. So, you know, if I'm having a, mm-hmm. a rubbish day, I can just sit there and reflect on the, the messages that I've been sent by people and stuff like that. That all helps, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. And I think you touched on on something there as well about if, you, if you're having a rubbish day, because I know I've, a lot of my clients um, struggle to, to get the idea that, well, how do we be positive? How can we be happy all day, every day? You can't. <laughs> you, you just can't. And I'm not going to sit there and tell any client or anybody that you can because it isn't possible. We, we're all going to have good and bad days. It's about how we deal with those bad days. And like you just said, you'll, you'll look at the cards and you'll, you've got things around you that will help you through that bad day. Hmm. So it is a case, and it's the same talking to the children, is understanding. We all have bad days, but it's also letting the children know you're having a bad day so that they understand, right, okay, it's okay to have a bad day because mum and dad or nan and granddad and whoever, they have bad days too. So it's about... Because we do, we do tend. Although we say we're a lot more open now with our children, we do tend to hide the issues we have as parents to our children. So you will, you'll find that we we tend to to hide a lot of like if we're getting upset or we're really struggling or things. We'll try and hide that. And not let them see it because we're, we're worried it'll stress them out and worry them. And but the worst thing is that we all know children pick up on everything. So as much as we're hiding it, they know something's not right. So it's a case of sitting down and just explaining to them, like, look, we're not in a good situation at the minute. This is what's happening, but and put the positive on it. But we're gonna do this and we're gonna and. It's also the fact it gives them the opportunity to feel like they can help you. Is there an age? Sorry, is there an age limit though to where you can put these sort of things over to them? Um, I suppose. I suppose. I think it just comes with with your own personal feelings of what you think they can do. Pure, purely down to the fact, like, if we've got a three-year-old, we're not going to talk about death and things like that to a three-year-old, but maybe a 10-year-old will understand it a little bit more, so we might talk about it a little bit with, with them. So it's about just gauging whether you you think that you can put it across to them in a way they'll understand it. Mm. I think that's 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 the hard part of it, and it's trying to gauge whether whether they're going to understand it and and accept it. But at least, if you can be honest with a child, even if they don't understand it fully, later on, they'll appreciate the fact that you were open and honest with them, regardless of what you what was going on. They understood that, and that builds the trust between the parent and the child more 
and it means that they can come to you and build that relationship a little bit more because they just know they can rely on whatever whatever happens they can rely on you because you'll tell them so it just builds that security around them as well because then we know for and just using this as a as an example but say say somebody's house was going to get repossessed you can imagine how stressed and worried the parents are going to be and and imagine if a child didn't know that that all that was going on and then all of a sudden they're, they're thrown out and they, they but if they were told right at the beginning look this is a situation we're in we might have to move and it's going to help them understand and it won't be as traumatic for them. So I'm, I'm hoping nobody's in, in that situation, but it was just an example that, that of, of just sitting down and explaining to them of something that is going on and just to, it's basically preparing them for what might happen yeah. or putting it in a positive like. We get to move house. We get to go to new places and explore new things. And it's it it is all about letting them see the bad, but seeing the good in it. Because every situation has a good and a bad. If there's a if there's a bad situation, there has to be some good in it. So it's about trying to find what that good is. And I think that's where parents struggle. And not just parents, everybody struggles because automatically our minds just go to the negative. And we're all very drawn to the negative and we'll just focus and focus and focus on the negative. But the, there's always got to be a positive in it. Mm. Always. Yeah, definitely. And, we, you know, as uh, pet groomers in this group know, um, you know, we could serve up 10 lovely, happy customers, but as soon as we get on negative review, that's it. That's all we drill on. We hone down, hone down and look at. When it comes to um, goals, plans, vision boards, affirmations, can we teach our children this? Is this something that um, is good for children to do, like the goal setting Absolutely. and the vision boards and stuff? Absolutely. I'd, I'd encourage I'd encourage everybody to do vision boards with children and and they really enjoy it more so because it's the gluing and the sticking and the cutting out of pictures and they really enjoy that and it's also getting them away from technology and things like that so it's getting them to be a bit creative so it is really good to get them involved in that and it can we start off small it can be it can be things like like a favorite bike they want um which also helps parents for christmas presents and <laughs> yes. birthday presents and things like that so it, it does it is a win-win for both though but it is one of those that it's not getting them to obviously be like oh i want to be a millionaire and i want to own a chain of shops and we don't we don't it's just start off small like what what do they want if you could have anything now what would it be and it's just things like that. Like I know one of my sons, one of my son's dreams is to go to Disney World, Florida. So that's that's something we were planned on doing November just gone for his birthday. But given everything that's gone on over the past two years, we've we've unfortunately not been able to do that. So but it is something that's a dream of his. So it's about 
letting him focus on that and letting him realize that that's one of his goals and he really wants to get there. But it's it's encouraging them to keep working on them goals. I think that's where a lot of parents fall behind mm-hmm. is they let them to get all encouraged and let them do this this creative thing of creating a vision board, but then they don't follow it up. So it kind of just falls back. And it's about just just pushing them that little bit to be like, what have you done towards your goal today? What have you done this week that's got you a little bit closer to your goal? So it's about encourage them to take steps, even if they don't want to. Or even if they struggle, it's about well. If you don't take them steps, you're you're not going to hit that goal. So should we take it off the board? Nine out of ten times they'd be like, "No, I want it. I want it." Well, let's take the steps towards it then. It gets them into good habits as well as they're growing up, as to 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 keep revisiting this and keep redoing the vision boards and and stuff like that Definitely. as well. And it, it builds confidence in them because then they realize they've taken the steps to something they want. But it also, more than anything, it builds trust in yourself. The number one way to build trust in yourself is by following through what you say. Because if you say, right, I'm going to go to the gym every day for an hour and you don't follow through, then it's kind of like your friend saying, oh, I'll meet you for a coffee and they don't turn up. Well, next time they ask you, you're going to be like, well, you're going to show up or you're just not going to go or say no. So that's what you're doing. Every time you set something and say to yourself, I'm going to do this, if you don't follow through with it, you're basically breaking that trust with yourself. So next time you, you say, I'm going to do this, even if you don't want to push yourself to do it because that will build the trust inside yourself. And it's about doing that with, with the children as well, making sure that they then start to trust themselves. So should we talk about your book? Um, I I know his time is like, I could sit here and talk about this all, all day long. (laughs) So it's so interesting, isn't it? And my, my whole um, mindset has just changed in the last couple of years, it's just changed so much uh, into this. So you, the the book you wrote, um, did you always know what kind of book you were going to write or are you just like, I want to write a book? And um, I'm, I've, I've tried to write a couple of books in the past and I'm just like, it's just not there. Mm. It's like, this just doesn't feel right to me. Um. Well, then with this one, I felt there was kind of like a spark there. There was a a desire and there was a drive for it and a passion. And I was just like, this is right. This is right. I'm on the right path. And I just knew I was on the right path. Then I was like, right, this is the book I need to write. And I know I struggled as well because obviously I'm dyslexic and things like that. So it wasn't the fact of writing the book I struggled with. It's about how how do I put what I'm thinking on paper for people to understand because there's a lot of science behind everything. And I know from a parent's point of view, 
we're, we're all very busy and we don't have the time to to sit there and read a 300-page book and it going on about all the science and psychology of everything. It, we don't need that. We need a book that's just going to give us an explanation of what's going on and how things are happening in people's mind, but then also give us strategies on how we can change that. And that's, that's what I've tried to do with my book is I've kept it as short as I can for parents just to, to pick up and read it within an hour or two and, and just take the, I've tried to bullet point the key aspects of it so we can just take them out and, and use them. Like there's, there's a section on anxiety for children Mm. in it. And there's, Inside, at the end of one of the chapters, there's I think there's 13, 13 different exercises you can try with your child to, to try and minimize the anxiety. Um, one, for example, one of them is, is breathing the rainbow, we call it. So it's every time they feel anxious, it's take a deep breath in. And every time they breathe in, they need to spot something around the room that matches with the same color as each color of the rainbow. So it basically just diverts the brain away from the anxiety. And what that does then, because the deep breathing, it it reduces the heart rate. So they don't feel the physical anxiety anymore, neither. So it just diverts. So there's, there's there's quite a few different techniques that I've added into the book. We can do as well, can't we? I was just saying, yeah. we can do those as well, can't we? So. Definitely, definitely. And it's all, it is because an anxiety in a child, anxiety in, a, in an adult, it's both, they're both anxiety. So the techniques are there for, for adults to use too. And it's good also for the child to see adults using them because then it just it just makes it more normal for them and more natural for them to, to carry it out. Um, there's there's a section in the book that I mentioned before. We talk about like traumatic events and and the media and how we sit down and explain to them the the negatives of what they're seeing on telly and and what they hear around and how actually there's really good people who are involved in them as well, trying to fix things and trying to help people in in situations that are, are not very good. Um, and then there's there's a section about building building bonds with your child, and that is that is purely just having that that one on one time as a parent and a child. Because I think in today's society, we're all we are very busy, and we do only have limited time. And I remember when I was when I was younger, and I lived with my grandparents. Every single day, without fail, we sat around that dining table for our dinner, and it it. It was the whole family and we done it every single day. And that was our family time. And I really, really enjoyed that because you felt like a family then. You could talk about your day and how your day went and and things like that. But a lot of people don't do that now. And it's about just bringing that time, even if you just spend half an hour together, just sitting down and just how was your day? And just talking, but also giving the opportunity for the child to ask you how your day was. 
because I think a lot of parents just see it as we we give, 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 give to our children. But at the same time, our children want to give to us. But a lot of time we don't let them. Mm. And it, it's hard. And it's not the fact that we were, were consciously stopping them from doing it. And it's not that we don't want them to do it. It's, we just don't think that way. We just think that I'm the parent. I need to do this. But it's also they're, they're your child and they want to help. And the, at the very end of the book, we talk about um, chores for children, which is a very, it's a controversial subject because a lot of people are like, oh, you can't ask kids to do chores. And ultimately it builds independence in a child and it builds confidence. And I'm not talking about letting a child do all the washing and all the dishes and cooking the dinner. and But it can be simple things like, oh, do you want to help me set the table? So they can just, so that's a chore that they're helping with, but they're helping you. And then you can also use that time to talk to them. Mm. So it's about how how we use things to to build that independence, that confidence, but also it's building that trust and the bond between the child and the parent. So yeah, it's it is it is a controversial subject with some people, but I I do I do encourage encourage some some chores, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be oh you need to do this 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 five days a week. It it's not about that. It's just about just teaching them that that little bit of independence. But it's also about teaching them that everybody in the house, we're a team. So we all have to work together and we all have to help each other. And that's, I think that's what it's about. Definitely. Sorry, Is that your dog? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely, um, you know, Tom has his jaws in the morning to sort out some pets and um, Josh is starting to, Josh is eight now, so he's starting to help out with it, with that as well. So we, the book is called Building Blocks for More Resilient Children. So that's definitely on my Christmas list for, um, to get some help uh, with my kids. Perhaps, um, perhaps just guide us through some of the, uh, the coaching, uh, your coaching courses that you offer parents and, uh, and what that entails as well. Yeah, um, I offer I offer a twelve week program to all all clients, um, and within that twelve weeks, we just look at at where we currently are and where we want to be. But it's also that the main point of it is just changing our habits and how we act and what we what we embed in our children. It's the understanding that. As I, I mentioned to you just just before before this was how many times have we sat there and we're talking to our child or we've said something and we're like, oh God, I sound like my dad or I sound like my mom. And it's it's about acknowledging and understanding that that is purely down to the fact you were programmed from your mom and dad. So ultimately what they've taught you you're going to pass on to your child. So it's about trying to look at ways or there's things in your life that don't serve you at the moment 
and we'll change that so then we know it's going to serve your child. And I think that's that's the hard part is trying to trying to focus on that and trying to turn it because it's so embedded in our minds because we've had it all our life from our parents. Mm. So it's very difficult to change that. But over that 12 weeks, we really dig in and we really flip things on the head. And I did I did have <laughs> one client who just who come through and and at the end she was like after her first session, she was like, honestly, she said, I felt like you took my head off and you shook it and you put it back on. She said, I didn't know what, what was going on and what had happened, she said, but it was amazing. And she stuck out the whole 12 weeks. And then she went on to just one-on-one sessions after that. Um, but it is, it's just about, a not, but it's also your chance to bring to me issues that you might be facing at the moment and how we can solve that together. Because I think ultimately there isn't a lot of help out there for children and especially for people who or for parents. There's no support out there for parents. If you're fostering or adopting and things, there's a lot of help out there. But if you're an actual parent to the chat, there's, there's not a lot of help out there for you. There's no manual, is there? No, there's no <laughs> manual. There's no manual, unfortunately. Um, but I've, I've tried to write one. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It's a, it's a starter, isn't it? It what is. You, what sort of, um, what are the typical issues and problems that your clients come to you with? A lot A lot of issues are the child being labelled mm-hmm. with something. It could be learning difficulties. It could be ADHD. It could be dyslexia. It could be anything. Um, Basically, they've been labelled. So what we first teach about that is we we name the label. We give it a name. Like, I don't know, just we, we name different emotions. So they've all got a, a funny name to them. And it's up to the child what that name is. And what that ultimately does is it diverts the label away from the identity to so the child. Sort of say how Steve today, sort of thing, talking about yeah. the anxiety. How Steve yeah. getting on today? Yeah. So, for example, my my son has he he has angry Tim. Right. And um, so whenever he gets frustrated, and I can see he's getting annoyed and angry, I'll be like, "Oh, Tim's walked in," and then he starts to realise, and then he learns to control and bring him back. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what they, they do. It's just with dr- it's trying to separate the emotion from the identity because that's a problem. Is a lot of children get the label and they they think that is them then, and it's not at all. It can't. It doesn't dictate who they are and what they can do. So it's about trying to separate that. So that's that's one one of the big issues that I, I, I get a lot um another one is confidence and anxiety they they're the three mm. that i'd say are the biggest the biggest concerns for most parents um that i face and as i mentioned before the, the book and anxiety is about looking at the future and how we control that and 
anxiety, unfortunately, is one of those situations, one of those emotions that we can never get rid of. And it's always good to have some anxiety because it's one of those things that are just hardwired in our brain. It's not, we can't change that, but it's how we control it and how we minimize that. And that's, that's what I teach a lot of the parents is different strategies and coping techniques of how we minimize these things. So that they're, they're the main concerns I think I get a lot. So, you know, you work with the parents to then, um, so that they can then work with their children. You don't work with the children themselves, you work with the parents, don't you? I do, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose I was just thinking, like, um, I suppose when you separate that uh, the, that name out, the, the condition or the, the label, and they can, the, does that help the child to talk about it as well? Because like, oh, Tim's, Tim's kicking about today, you know, angry Tim's kicking about, you know. Definitely. And it gives them, it gives them an understanding that it's not them. Mm. And that's the most important part is them understanding that that person isn't them. Um, so it can, and it, it does like my, my son, he, he comes home and he's like, Oh, Tim, Tim come out a few times today. And I'm like, right. And what, why was Tim out? What, what was up with Tim? And, and it helps them as well to tell a story about what happened because they feel like they're talking about someone else and not themselves. And children are very good at telling you things about what other people are doing. Mm. So it, it does really help them open up about it, but it also helps them learn about emotions because I think that's where a lot of children struggle is they don't know what emotions are and they don't know how to control them so that's that's the issue they have and it really does help them to understand that when they feel that way well oh it's Tim so then they try to understand right when Tim comes out that means I feel this way so it's trying to get them to acknowledge what the emotions are at that moment, mm. which I know some schools are doing a lot of work on emotions with children now, especially primary school. Um, but still, it's still a very new thing to be taught in schools. So, and I think children children do struggle. I know my son really struggled with emotion and he didn't he just didn't know how to show him well not show emotion but how to control his emotions and then that frustrated him even more it gets worse so it is it, it really does help it really does help them so i can imagine your um your coaching could go to, into all the schools all the teachers could be uh compulsory learning for the teachers maybe well <laughs> I, I, I wish and I hope, but yeah, I am. I am hoping to to build a, an outreach program into schools, and that's to. I, I haven't decided yet on whether that's I'm going to go in to speak to the children or whether it's just going to be training for teachers and and school um, educators. So it is something I'm looking to do in the future. So we we will we will see where that goes. 
Put it on the vision board. It's on the vision board. Definitely on the vision board. Excellent. Well, you know, we we started this conversation about um, you know talking about your book and your coaching services and how to build resilience for children. I think we've covered so much more, haven't we? I mean, it's so yeah, it's been awesome. I'm, I said, have you got an hour? We've, we'll come up to an hour and a half. So I'm going to uh, <laughs> going to leave it there and uh, let us let us let people know how they can get hold of you. Where where can they find you if they want uh, further help or want to get in touch with you? Yeah, they can they can uh, just send me any messages on on Facebook. I'm happy to any if they add any comments or questions to this video. I'm happy to answer from there. Um, failing that, I have a website which is scmindcoach.co.uk. Okay. Um, you can send me a message on there. Um, also, my I'm sure my WhatsApp is on there as well, so you can contact me that way. Um, also, you can also book free 60-minute uh, discovery calls on there too. Um, so it's just a case going in and, and selecting a slot and, and booking a slot. Awesome. And- I'll put all those links in the um, in the comments box, and then when, when it goes out onto YouTube and that, I'll put it in the in the in the bio, and we'll put a link to your book in the the Amazon link as well for them. So uh, people can get it for Christmas. <laughs> it's been really, really good, really, really interesting talking to you. And um, you know, we just touched touched on the very surface of it all, didn't we? But oh, yeah. the, already in there in this talk, there's been things that can help people out straight away with goals, plans, talking to children and stuff. So it's been really, really helpful, I'm sure. I'm hope I hope so. I hope somebody has taken something away from it. So that's, oh, that's all I ask for. That's it. I definitely have. Definitely have. And show everyone your dog that's been laying patiently next to you. Or is he, she's, she, she's disappeared. There she is. Well behaved as well. There she is, aren't you? <laughs> she's a good girl. Well, it's been nice, really, it's been a pleasure to meet you and it's been awesome talking to you. So um, keep in touch, let us know how you get on and we'll keep an eye on your page for your, uh, to see how you progress. It's been great. I will do. Thank you very much. No worries. I really appreciate it. Take care.